Gordon. Uh, let me show you the, the prayer that we're encouraging everyone to use every day during this new series. Uh, if, if you didn't get a, co- a printed copy of it last week, I do have a few left if, if you see me afterwards. But, but let me read this prayer. And if you were here last Sunday, you'll know that this was a prayer that the late John Stott prayed every single day. Heavenly Father, I pray that I may live this day in your presence and please you more and more. Lord Jesus, I pray that this day I may take up my cross and follow you. Holy Spirit, I pray this day that you will fill me with yourself and cause your fruit to ripen in my life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Holy Blessed and glorious Trinity, three persons in one God, have mercy upon me. Almighty God, creator and sustainer of the universe, I worship you. Lord Jesus Christ, saviour and Lord of the world, I worship you. Holy Spirit, sanctifier of the people of God, I worship you. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now and shall be forever. Amen. And last Sunday night, as we introduced this new series, Nine a Day, we looked at Galatians chapter 5, or a certain section of it, and we reflected on Paul's advice there to live by the Spirit. Because if we're going to produce the fruit of the Spirit, these nine segments of Christian character, then we're going to need, says Paul, to live by the Spirit. And we made the point that the purpose of God for the people of God is to make them more and more like Jesus, that Christ-likeness is our calling, our goal, and our destination. And if we're going to become more and more like Jesus, then we need to do a couple of things. And we looked at this last Sunday night, I'm just kind of refreshing. We're going to need to do at least a couple of things. One is crucify the sinful nature on a regular, if not a daily basis, which involves the spiritual disciplines, the holy habits of confession and repentance. And then the second thing we're going to need to do is we're going to need to keep in step with the Spirit, or we're going to need to be led by the Spirit so that all nine segments are growing and developing and ripening in our lives. And tonight we're going to look at the first two segments We're going to look at love and joy. But before we do, I want to say one more thing. Is that not what fell down? So it did. Sorry, guy. (laughs) Is that better? Yeah, great. Can you you hear me okay, folks? Yeah, you can now. Great. Uh, We're going to look at love and joy. But just before we do that, I want to say one more thing by way of essential uh, introduction. In John 15, and if you have a copy of God's Word and you want to turn to John 15... This is part of of John's so-called kind of final discourse, his long goodbye to his disciples. And in in that final discourse, uh, he says these important words to his followers. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them, or those who abide in me and I in them, They will produce much fruit. For apart from me, 
you can do nothing, says Jesus. And so if we're ever going to produce fruit, then we're going to need to work out and recognize, well, what does it mean to remain in and abide in Jesus? Because that, that's the only way, according to Jesus, you will produce fruit if you remain in him. And to kind of drive home this point, listen to what Jesus says here at the beginning of, of John chapter 15. I'm going to read from verse 4 to 10 and, and see how many times the word remain occurs or abide. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. Ten times throughout those seven verses, this word remain or abide. Now I realize there's, there's lots in here. And I'm not going to kind of unpack those seven verses. But I wanted to say right up front, as we continue to think about the fruit of the Spirit of Christ in our lives, that we must hunger desperately for ways to remain in Jesus if we're going to produce fruit. We've got to look for ways to remain in him, to remain in his words, and to remain in his love. Because that way, we will produce fruit. And so I suppose one of, the, one of the questions I want to kind of leave with you this evening to take away and reflect on is this. How? How do you remain in Jesus? What, what, what can you do? What should you be doing on a regular basis, a daily basis, so that that is part of your story? Okay, let's look at this first segment, love. And in many ways, it's, a, it's no big surprise or coincidence that it's first on the list. Because as you engage with so much of the teaching of Scripture in the New Testament, you realize that without love, you're beat before you start. That without love, all of our talk... Even the good talk, even the spiritual talk, all of that will just come across like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal if we don't have love. Love has been described as the, the kind of glue that holds everything else together. Or it's the overcoat that completes the look. 
Whenever Paul writes to the church at Colossae, he urged them to clothe themselves with compassion and kindness, humility, patience, meekness, and forgiveness. But then he said, above all of that, above all of that, on top of all of these things, put on love. Here's the catch-all garment. The one that binds everything else together, that holds it all in place. And so love seems like the key segment which profoundly impacts and affects the others. Now, I I know that you could spend all night talking about this first segment and explaining why it's important. And you could turn to any number of biblical texts to stress its necessity, but I want to highlight just a couple in particular. Let me go back to John's gospel for a minute and pick up again in chapter 15, if you've still got it open there. Because just after Jesus talks about the need to remain in him and to bear much fruit, and just before he goes on to talk about this in even greater depth, he says these well-known words. John 15, verse 12, a couple of verses after where we stopped. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And so, in order to become more and more like Jesus, we've got to love like Jesus. And in order to become more and more like Jesus, we've got to love like Jesus. Now, yes, there is an obedience dimension to this segment. Plus, as Jesus said earlier in John 13, It's by our love for one another that a watching world actually knows that we belong to him. Love one another, says Jesus. By this, everyone will know you're my disciples. It's the ultimate apologetic, as Francis Schaeffer described it, because it speaks volumes to a watching world who crave love, who crave acceptance, who crave connection. And so as we think about, well, how do, we, how do we love others? How do we see this segment of the fruit of the Spirit grow in our lives? The answer is disarmingly straightforward. You love like Jesus. This is my commandment, that you love one another. How do we do that, Jesus? As I have loved you. It's a tall order. And therefore, and almost immediately many or some of us react to that and say, well, do you know, that's that's just impossible. I can't do that. That's a fair point because left to our own devices, we're never going to love each other the way Jesus loves us. We just can't do it on our own. But we're not on our own. Because as God's Word makes clear, we love because... We're loved by God. When we realize and when we come to terms with the extent of God's love for us, then we are better placed to express that love to others. And so one of the issues we've got to wrestle with is, do you know how much God loves you? Because once you've grasped that, and as you grasp that, then you are able to. We love only because we've been loved by God. The Bible also makes it clear that that God's love's been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who's been given to us, it says in Romans 5. We're not on our own. This is not about me trying my best to love others through gritted teeth. 
We have the Spirit of God living within us. The promised helper is here. And the fruit of his presence and activity in our lives is this capacity to love as Jesus has loved. It's not beyond our reach, but here's the challenge. To remain in Jesus and to keep in step with his Spirit. So as we remain, as we keep in step, we are then able to see this segment ripen in our lives as we love as Jesus loves. But let's tease this loving like Jesus out a little further because it's not only a kind of love of obedience, we are commanded to do it, but it's a love that costs. It's a love that involves sacrifice, that stretches us at times. It's a love that goes beyond words and sentiments. As John himself would later state in his first epistle, let us not love with words, but let us love with actions and in truth. And so this involves or impacts and influences the way we live and the way we behave. And our role model as always is Jesus. Again, this is how we know what love is. So, so here, here's how we know. Jesus laid down his life for us. So this is active love. This is sacrificial, self-giving love that goes beyond feelings. That's, that's how we see this segment growing in our lives. But let me finish this verse. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Who knows how it finishes? And we ought to lay down our lives for one another. So what the Bible says is, listen, you've got to love one another without counting the cost. Without any thought of return. Love without first weighing up the pros and cons or trying to figure out whether or not that person deserves to be loved or not. We've got to love through tangible acts of kindness and compassion and generosity and helpfulness and grace. This is how this first segment grows whenever we love like Jesus. In obedience to his command to love others as he has loved us, but also through a love that costs us, that's sacrificial, that's self giving. And if it's not, if this first segment is not on display in our lives, then there's something wrong with our connection to the vine, or else we've got out of step with the Spirit. I could say so much more about this first segment, but I want to move on to the second joy. And again, with with all of these segments, it's not something we produce on our own. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Now, and this has been brought out earlier on in the service, but we're not talking about happiness. Happiness happens whether or whenever you're in a good mood. Happiness happens whenever things are working out, whenever the sun shines, whenever we get to do what we love to do. Happiness happens whenever we're having a laugh. And, and that's all great, and that's all important, and, and that's all really positive. I'm not knocking that at all. But joy, biblical joy, Christian joy, fruit of the Spirit joy, 
is more profound. It, it, it's deeper than that. And so to quote James Greenwood, uh, and I know I've used this quote a number of times, but it was one of the first quotes he shared with me when I came here a number of years ago. Happiness happens, joy abides, or in his son's version of it, joy lasts. Happiness happens, joy abides. And one of the key features of joy is that it grows and can be our experience even when life's rough. And I think it was Ashley brought this out at the very start of the service. Joy grows and can be our experience even through hardship. Even in the midst of disappointment and loss and pain and grief. And, and it's that aspect of joy that I, that I really want to try to tease out in just these last few minutes. James, the apostle this time, not Greenwood. James writes, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Or the writer of Hebrews says to readers in light of their suffering, and we've heard this verse already, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, author, perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Now, how can facing trials or the prospect of the cross and all that implies, how can that ever, those things, ever be seen through the lens of joy? It makes no sense. In fact, it sounds like complete nonsense. Unless, that is, joy is radically different and genuinely possible in the midst of mess and heartache. And as you read God's word, that, that is the one thing you come away with as you think about joy in the second segment of the fruit of the Spirit. And so we are dealing with, and I want to put this out, we are dealing with an element of mystery, the supernatural. It's one of the reasons why uh, the theologian and Bible commentator William Barclay writes that this joy, that this special, this unique fruit of the Spirit joy that we're talking about is a joy whose foundation is God. It's a joy that, that comes from another place, from a spiritual source. And so it's the joy of the Lord that is our strength. And so this, this segment grows and ripens in our lives in and through all circumstances. Even and maybe particularly through suffering. And that's because it's through suffering that we develop character. It's through suffering that we develop the character to become more and more like Jesus. And so Romans 5 says this, and again, to many people this sounds extreme, unless, unless you realize that Christ-likeness is your calling, your goal, and your destination. We rejoice in our sufferings. It's crazy. We rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Because we know that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. See, one of, the, one of the harsh realities of life, and I'm not even sure that's the right word, but certainly one of the core realities of life and the Christian life 
is that we learn the most, grow the most, and discover the most in the hard times. In the struggles, in the suffering. Because you see, it's only those experiences that bring a depth of character that nothing else ever can. I came across the the following story during the week to illustrate the point. A man found the cocoon of an emperor moth and he took it home to watch it emerge. And one day a small opening appeared and for several hours the moth struggled but couldn't seem to force its body past a certain point. And deciding that something was wrong, the man took a pair of scissors and he snipped the remaining part of the cocoon. And the moth emerged easily. Its body was large and swollen. Its wings were were small and shriveled. And man expected that that in a few hours the wings would spread out in their natural beauty, but but they didn't. And instead of, of developing into a creature free to fly, the moth spent its life dragging around its swollen body and shriveled wings. The constricting cocoon, you see, and the struggle necessary to pass through the tiny opening are God's ways of forcing fluid from the body into the wings. The merciful snip was in reality cruel because sometimes the struggle is exactly what we need. Do you know, we can know joy and see it develop and ripen in our lives as we struggle and in our suffering because somehow we realize and we recognize its ability to strengthen our character. And so that we are free to be the people God has created us to be. And sometimes that requires a struggle. It makes us more and more like Jesus. I say that we can see it, but what I just find is it's those around people who are going through suffering that actually see it in their lives. They don't. And I know there are a number of people here who are going through the mill at the moment. And yet one of the things that just astounds me is the determination and the commitment and this this deep abiding joy that they are somehow able to have in the midst of that. But that's a God thing. And that comes out of this recognition that it's in the struggle that we become more and more like Jesus. As I was preparing for this and thinking about how joy grows no matter what's going on in our lives and even as a direct result of what's going on, I came across another thing that was written by John Ortberg in this book, The Life You've Always Wanted. How many people have read this book? I know a number have. Yeah, quite a lot. Uh, I was going to refer to some of this, but but I'm going to read just a, a good chunk of it because it's really good. We all live with the illusion, he says, that that joy will come someday whenever conditions change. And so we go to school and think, well, you know, we'll be happy, we'll find joy when we graduate. 
Or we're single and we're convinced that we'll be happy, we'll find joy when we get married. Or we get married and we decide that we'll be happy someday, have joy when we have children. And we have children and decide we'll be happy when they grow up and leave. And then they do. And we think, oh, I wish they were back home and then I'd be happier and then I'd be more joyful. But he writes, this is God's day. It's the day God has made. It's the day that Christ's death has redeemed. If we are going to know joy, it must be today. But this raises the question, how can I embrace joy amid all the pain and all the suffering? It's precisely here that we make one of the most surprising discoveries. Often, it is the people closest to suffering who have the most powerful joy. And he gives a couple of examples. Friends of Mother Teresa said that instead of being overwhelmed by the suffering around her, she glowed with joy as she went about her ministry of mercy. One of the English officers imprisoned at Flossenburg with Dietrich Bonhoeffer said of him, Bonhoeffer always seemed to me to spread an atmosphere of joy over the least incident and profound gratitude for the fact that he was alive. True joy, as it turns out, comes only to those who have devoted their lives to something greater than personal happiness. This is most visible in the extraordinary lives of the saints and the martyrs, but it's no less true for ordinary people like us. One test of authentic joy is its compatibility with pain. Joy in this world is always joy in spite of something. Joy is, true joy is, as Carl put it, Carl Barth put it, a defiant nevertheless. A joy in all circumstances. And so to sum up, if we're going to produce fruit, we're going to need to abide in Christ. We're going to need to know what it means to remain in him, remain in his words, remain in his love. And regarding the first two segments, love and joy, they will grow in our lives as we love like Jesus and as we learn to rejoice in this day and every day, no matter what it holds, And no matter what it throws at us. Let's pray. Father, we we thank you for Jesus. And as his disciples teach us what it means to remain in him to abide in him, to remain in his words, to remain in his love, because it's from that place that we produce much fruit. And God, as we think of this fruit, and as we think of the first two segments of it, I thank you for your Holy Spirit who lives within us and who produces this fruit. Help us to love like Jesus, which is his command to us. Help us to know the cost 
of loving others as Jesus has loved us. Sacrificially. A self-giving love. And Father, may we know joy. This deep, lasting joy that can be experienced in all circumstances. And I pray for those this evening here in this church who are in the midst of pain, who are going through trials, who are being stretched to the limit. May they rejoice because it produces perseverance, which produces character, which produces hope. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's uh, stand together and close with this great hymn, Love Divine, All Love's Excelling. Joy of heaven to earth come down.
next week we'll have a look at the third segment, peace, and uh, we'll also be thinking about the whole uh, trafficking issue as well next Sunday evening. But as we close our service tonight, uh, we do again want to just offer prayer for anybody who would, who would like someone to pray with them. Uh, maybe something that's been raised tonight, if you're just struggling to love like Jesus, or you're going through the mill at the moment and you, you just don't see the joy in it at all. Uh, but if you just love anyone to pray with you, we, we have people here who would love to do that. Uh, and so if you just make your way to the front, just as the, after the service finishes, somebody will come and, and pray with you. But let me just pray as we close, and I wish you God's richest blessing in the week ahead. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God our Heavenly Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forevermore. Amen.